You're listening to Two Moms No Filter with Danielle and Melissa. If you're out of your mind busy with work, laundry, being the mom taxi, worrying about your kid driving on their own, making dinner, paying bills, dealing with your partner, attending every practice, recital, game, and field trip, then take some freaking time for yourself and chill with your new BFFs. I'm Danielle, and I'm by myself, which sucks because it's much easier to have a discussion when someone else is here instead of me just talking to you. But we'll do our best, so let's get to it. This week's recap, I know that we are knee-deep into soccer, and soccer practice has been going on for the past few weeks, and Evie has already had her first scrimmage. Liz has happily moved into her dorm this past week, which moving is always a pain in the butt. And for those of you moms who have dropped your freshman off at college, I feel you. I know how hard this is. Even though my kid is right across the street, it is still hard because I don't see her every day. I don't even see her once a week sometimes. So there that is. And one of my neighbors is, of course mowing his lawn because it's a beautiful day outside fall has hit almost full force here um not so much in the change of the colors on the leaves because we do live in the north we get leaf color changes but definitely at night the temps have been in the low to mid 50s and we're about to start dipping into the 40s here soon So it's almost time for sweater weather. I know everybody that I work with is very excited about this. I, for one, am not. um, Well, I can't say I'm not excited for fall. I do love fall. I am not a pumpkin spice fan. So I can say that I find the influx of pumpkin spice everything somewhat nauseating. I went to the grocery store and there are pumpkin spice Pop-Tarts, Cheerios, Of course, coffee, beverages, but now there's pumpkin spice tea, there's pumpkin spice coffee creamer, there's just pumpkin spice freaking everything. And I don't know why, if they just renamed it nutmeg, like everything's going to taste like nutmeg, then I don't think it would be as big of a deal that, that it is. But there that is. Not a fan. I'm also still waiting for Starbucks to return with their toasted graham latte, and... I am somewhat upset that that hasn't become a bigger thing. Um, I don't know if they will bring it back, but it is literally the best thing Starbucks has, in my opinion. Anyway, so today we're going to talk about homework hacks and study tips, not necessarily in that order. I can say that in my house with... Liz and Evelyn, I know that for the most part, I got very spoiled with the both of them in that they both always did their homework. I never really had to prod them about homework because I've tried to drill into my children that school is their job and they are pretty much required to do their best at school. And I've said several times, I don't care if you get a C if you busted your butt to get it. Um, I do care if you got a C and just did it because you were screwing off or not doing the work. So with Emily, it's been a struggle. Um, I've said it before, Emily is autistic and 
she prior to the new um classifications i guess of autism when the dsm-5 came out she was diagnosed as having asperger's and that is no longer a dsm-5 diagnosis so everything is under this autism spectrum disorder umbrella that said it is sometimes very difficult for me and i can't imagine how difficult it is for emily to do homework there are many days many many days at least one day a week where it's nine o'clock at night and i have to tell her put the homework away you need to brush your teeth and get ready for bed um and this is after we this is after having done homework all night long just trying to understand it she's the way she processes information is that things are very literal. They're very binary, black and white thinking. So because a lot of her math assignments are word problems, sometimes there are subtleties in those word problems that neurotypical kids can pick up on that she they go right over her head sometimes. So she gets very frustrated when she reads a word problem and there's so much information in it. It's very difficult for her to just read it, break it down and figure out the, what the question is actually asking her. So we really, math takes us forever to get done. And if she's just given equations, she can blow right through them. But those word problems, they throw us for a loop. And I think this goes for all, all three of my children. They also have issues with writing essays. Um, even though Elizabeth and Evelyn have always been on the high honor roll um, and they write very well, there are definite steps for improvement that they can make. Both of them have written papers that I have looked over and they have not learned to write the way I learned how to write. And I think that a lot of the academic standards today require that kids learn several different types of essays, like an argumentative essay, a narrative essay, um, and a persuasive essay for, you know, those are three big examples. Those are the three big essays that kids will write. So there's a helicopter going over, I swear to God. I will never get an episode of this done where it's just quiet. And that's part of my own fault because it's absolutely gorgeous out here. So, you know, y'all have to deal with some difficulties in the noise department at least. So how is it that as parents we can best help our kids with developing good study tips? I mean, this is basically a show for parents of preteens and teenagers. So hopefully by the time your kids are actually teens, they have some really good study tips nailed down. But there's always room for improvement there. There's always tips and tricks. And I mean, even when I went back to school in my 40s, you know, there was a ton of things that I picked up on that we I didn't have my first go round in college. So as far as studying goes, I do have a few friends and family members that are teachers. They're excellent teachers. Some of them teach high school. Some of them teach middle school. And all of them, with the exception of a couple, are parents, too, of um, one of my longest, closest friends. Deb is not only a high school math teacher, she has a son that she just moved into college the other day. So 
I wish I could be there to just give you a hug and tell you you can get through this. And I know how much it sucks, but you're going to be fine. Your son's going to be fine. It's going to be okay. Deb isn't a hover parent. She, and she's not a hover teacher either. She is the kind of person that says, this is your responsibility. This has to be kind of youth centric. This has to be led by the student or by her son. So she told me when I asked her, she said that she never really hovered over her kid or checked on his homework or made sure that things were completed because that's her son's responsibility to get done. So there's a definite benefit to making your kids more independent. That's your goal. You know, as a parent of a teenager, your goal is to prepare them for adulthood. And you can't be the kind of parent that is going to, you know, call the college and speak to the professor. Oh, my God, that is like the worst thing you could probably do to a college student. Most professors that I know immediately lose all kinds of respect, but it's becoming more common. That's something that never would have happened when I went to college in the 1990s. Oh my God, if my, if I was like struggling in a class and my mother called the professor, I never would have heard the end of that. That would have been a story that that professor would have told forever. But now it is somewhat commonplace that kids are unable to, I don't know if unable is the right word. They have a lot of difficulty in taking care of things themselves because they haven't been taught how to do so. So I would say as the parent of a teen, you kind of have to step back and let them make those mistakes for themselves. I mean, obviously, don't let them flounder. Don't let them fail every single class. You know, check on them. Make sure. it Be available. I think that's probably the biggest thing. Be available when they need help. Don't make them come and find you. If you know that they're doing their homework, say, hey, I know you're doing your homework. I'm in the kitchen if you need me. Or just, just give me a holler. Or, you know, if you have an upstairs and a downstairs, you can you can tell your kid to shoot you a text from the other room because I guess that's what the kids do nowadays. In my house, I kind of have a rule. Only because my child, even though I just talked about the whole guidance thing, my child needs more prompting than my other two kids. Emily definitely needs more prompting. If I were to try to let her take the reins right now, she just turned 13. There's, there'd be no way she would actually voluntarily do all of her homework. She'd probably come home and spend the rest of the day on YouTube. So when school starts, I have a definite rule system that is in place. They get home from school. They're not allowed to do homework right away. You need time to, as one of my girlfriends says, get the smell off you. You need time to just shed that day of school. In my house, you know, I expect you to come home and have a snack because lunch is so early in the day. And especially when Evelyn gets home, she's starving. She goes from school to soccer practice till 5, 5.30 at night, and she probably ate at 11. She does pack a snack, but that's still, that's to get her through practice. She's still a ravenous little bean. So I try to make sure that there's at least dinner, or even if it's a fend-for-yourself night, that there's easy stuff that she can just literally whip together and or just grab out of the freezer and microwave and eat. So in my house, you come home, you chill out for a bit, you take your backpack off, kick your sneakers off, you know, pet the dog, take the dog out, maybe go for a walk in the backyard or something like that with the dog. But 
have a snack, get all your stuff together. I usually try to limit that decompression time to about 45 minutes. So by four o'clock in my house, you have to start doing your homework. My kids, school gets out at like quarter or three. So my kids are home for almost an hour before they have to start doing homework. And once four o'clock hits, I expect you to be like no TV, no phone, no distractions at the table where it's quiet. I don't care if you have a snack or glass of water, but no tablets. And you have to start working on your homework. Now with my kids, I have tried to have them come up with some kind of planning system where they go through their agenda or their, in Elizabeth and Evie's case, they both have academic planners. Emily has an agenda that has all of her homework in it that a school provided. So she uses that. I don't want to throw too many things at her to confuse her, but I did get her a month-to-month academic planner that has every day of the month in it. So at least when projects and things come up, that's the thing that stays at home that we update through the agenda. So we can just look at it and say, hey, you know, you have a project coming up in three weeks. What, you know, what are you thinking about doing for that? As far as studying for tests, homework, I have told my kids that homework is their opportunity to practice what they learned in school and master it. So as far as study tips, my kids get a lot of like test prep packets. Um, A lot of their teachers will make like a little study packet that they can work on that just reinforces the information that they're going to probably find on the test. I think the best study prep that you can do is doing homework. So I don't know what you would do if your school is a homework-free school. I know few and far between schools that do that. When when I was in high school, we had a guideline that we had, I think it was three hours of homework for every class or one hour of homework per class per day. So we were expected to do a certain number of hours of homework every day. And it was tough. I'm, I'm not going to lie. We had a a packet for vocabulary and by a packet I mean like a, a workbook for vocabulary alone and it had like a thousand vocabulary words on it plus we had to know Greek and Latin prefixes root words and suffixes so it was a lot so you had to do that every day and you also had to do and, and depending on who you had for an English teacher we had four English teachers a year so depending on who you had you either had a little pop quiz every day or you had a once a week. So once a week, you'd have like 25 or 50 words that you had to know, plus however many Greek and Latin prefixes, suffixes, and root words that you had to know. So it was a lot. And that wasn't that wasn't anything that was really ever reviewed. If we reviewed it, it was maybe five minutes just to make sure. And it was usually um, the more intensive teachers that we had just to make sure that you had actually done the work. You might get asked, you know, what does apis mean? Or what does avis mean? Or what's the difference between apis and avis, which is birds and bees, just so you know. It, it was just, it was a lot. So I can empathize when kids have so much homework that it seems like that's all they do. And I know during the school year, it seems like during the week, our entire lives consist of getting our homework done. And, and that's not just my kids, because I'm the one that has to help them. So How can you best help your kids study? I think first and foremost, you need to talk to your kids about how they feel they study the best. Some kids like 
flashcards. Some kids have to write everything down to understand it or to, to know the material. Some kids just have to see it and can know their material. Some kids have to have it read to them or they'll read it out loud so they can hear it and remember it. Some kids, it's a combination of all those things. And, and you've heard Melissa and I discuss before, we color code our notes. I am an outliner, so I will outline notes. I make a very formal sort of Roman numeral style outlines. So I have like a Roman numeral one and I'll write a main topic and then there I'll find out the subtopics underneath those and those are capital A, capital B. And under A and B there's like a one and they're like it's a subtopic of a subtopic. I am very that's how I learned how to do research papers and that helps me take notes the best. And then I color code them. So <laughs> I'm a little bit anal retentive when it comes to doing notes like that. For Evelyn, she is a writer, so she has to write things down. She will copy over her notes, and that helps her cement those into her head. Emily has to actually be able to see it and do it. So Emily's a combination when it comes to her spelling, that repetition of writing things down. She'll write her spelling words five times each, and she has to see it as well. So sometimes what we do is we go on dictionary.com, and she'll type in the word, and she'll look at it. Sometimes she plays the little pronunciation of the word so she knows how to say it, and she'll read the, she'll read it out loud. She It's a lot trying to help um, remember vocabulary words and things like that. But once she has it, she has it. Liz is a seer, too. She's very visual. Um, she has to read it or see it before she can remember how to do it. If someone just reads it to her or tells her how to do it, it doesn't solidify that concept in her head. She has to be able to see it being done. In my house... We make sure that we have things like flashcards available. I have extra scrap paper available, pens, pencils, erasers. Emily has a big issue with things not erasing cleanly. So we have the kind of erasers that Emily likes, um, which are, they're, they're white. I think they're made by Papermate. I'm not exactly sure. But I know that it's a white eraser. It's like a white rectangular block of eraser. And that just makes her life easy. And I stocked up on those for her back to school. So hopefully she'll have a stash with her at school at all times. It used to be that Emily, when she was in, up until like fourth grade, she would write something down. And if it didn't erase cleanly, she'd rip the paper in half and ask for a new paper. We go through a lot of paper in our house. Get your kids into good study habits. After Friday, if my kids have weekend homework, I tell them to get it done on Friday. That way they have the rest of the weekend to have a weekend, to have that break. The When I was a kid in high school, I would not do my homework on Friday. I would wait till Sunday and then I spent the entire day Sunday doing homework and it sucked. So with Liz and Evelyn and Emily, I have drilled into their heads that you get your weekend homework done before the weekend so that you can actually have a good weekend. You can do the things that, you know, my whole family used to get together on Sundays and I was always holed up in my bedroom doing homework and that kind of sucked. 
because my little cousins would come over and by little they were a few years younger than me i'm one of the oldest girls in my family um actually i am the oldest girl in my family now but my my sister who passed away um before she was 30 she was the oldest girl she was never home though but my little cousins would all come in and they'd hang out in my room and I would literally just sit there and do homework. And I would try to talk to them, but sometimes I'd be up till two o'clock in the morning, you know, writing papers and doing homework. And that just sucked. So I highly suggest you don't wait around or you drill it into your kids' heads not to wait around all weekend to get their homework done. So homework help. Where do you go? Especially where do you go when you yourself as a parent don't know the material since common core came out and common core only goes to common core math i'm talking about it only goes to the eighth grade so this is our last year with common core math and i can tell you i hated it i hated it when it first came out i think evelyn was in the going into the fourth grade when it unrolled liz had it her Liz is five years older than Evelyn, so Liz was actually going into her freshman year. So she didn't have Common Core at all. She learned, quote unquote, the old math, which is what I learned, you know, long division, things like that. Common Core math, though, I was, nobody likes change, and I was resistant to it because I didn't understand it. And I think one of the best things when it rolled out when, um, Evelyn's fourth grade teacher, Mr. Anderson, was like, hey, I, you know, I went to school the same time you did. I learned the same math you did. This is going to be one step forward, two steps back, because we're always going to have to take steps back to figure out this is the new way how to do it. And the good thing about Common Core is, is it teaches you so many different ways to get to the same answer. And I think that's definitely a benefit when it comes to students knowing how to do stuff on their own. For the longest time, it was like kids were learning that there's only one way to learn how to do something. There's only one way to do this and get the correct answer. And Deb and I have had discussions where kids don't know how to think on their own very much anymore. There, a lot of kids now, and it floors me, are given a rubric. And a rubric, I didn't even know what a rubric was But a rubric is basically a breakdown on how something gets graded. And when I was in school, and I think when a lot of us were in school, we were just given an assignment. Like, here, write an essay on, I had to write an essay once on apartheid. So here, write an essay on apartheid. And you were taught the concepts of, you know, the opening, your opening statements and your your main argument and or your main idea and your conclusion and and that was your essay you had to fill in all the components of those elements and you handed in your essay and that was it and it got graded and you got an a or b or what whatever you got but a rubric would break that down into the components of an introductory statement and how well those statements are covered and this is how many points that's going to get if, if the, you know, it'll say if the student covered the statement in depth and gave um, solid examples, blah, 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 they'll get five points, let's say. And it breaks it down further from there. Like, say, if, if the, the student covered, you know, two elements of an introductory paragraph and failed to provide evidence or back up their argument, they get three points. You know, so this is what a rubric does. So all a kid has to do is stare at this rubric 
figure out, okay, I need to cover this and I need to include this for this part. And I need to do this and this and this for this part in order to get the maximum amount of points. So that's how kids do assignments now. And it freaks me out because instead of going back and saying, hey, write an essay on how a bill becomes a law, instead of describing that and thinking for themselves and knowing, okay, you know, there are 13 steps or whatever, and I have to include, you know, what could go wrong and things like that. They're basically given an outline instead of creating that outline on their own. So I think that Common Core, back to what I was saying, I think that Common Core math is a way to teach multiple avenues to the same answer, which I like. I'm not going to say I understand it still. So as a parent, what can you do? How do you help your kid when you don't know calculus or you've never taken trigonometry? There are a few resources that can definitely help you out with that. And there are definitely resources that you can use to, you know, have your kid take the reins and strengthen their own writing skills if they're having a problem. So if your kids are having a problem with an assignment, first and foremost, the thing that you should tell your child is that they need to utilize their teacher as a resource. So teach your child that they should be empowered to go to their teacher and say, hey, I don't understand this. Could you explain this to me? Can I stay after school? And I know staying after school sucks for some kids. And that you as a parent need to make yourself available to go pick them up if they don't drive or if they don't have an alternate means of transportation or make arrangements for them to somehow get home from school if they stay after school for extra help if they have a free period if your te- if their teacher has a free period make sure they know what that free period is and write it in their agenda or their academic planner so they always know and they it's always available and then it's their responsibility to go to that teacher to ask for that help because teachers you know, if you have a block class, maybe you have an hour and 20 minutes or so, but most most classes are about 40 or 50 minutes long. And there isn't always that one-on-one time. And I would say before classes start in the morning, after school, during study hall, you know, during your teacher's free time or planning period or something like that, you can go and ask them or you can stop by, you know, stop at their desk after the bell rings and say, hey, I'm really having a lot of trouble with this. Can I meet with you so you can explain it to me? Always teach your kids that that's the best thing to do first. But let's say they do that, or let's say they're just stuck on a math problem, or let's say, you know, my teacher explained this to me and I don't understand it. It's sometimes helpful to have your child explain to you what they're supposed to be doing. That way you can kind of gauge whether they've understood the assignment or if they understand the concept, especially if it's something you already know about. And if you don't, there are places you can turn to. I think overwhelmingly, the one suggestion that I received as responses to my, you know, I I posed a question on my personal Facebook page, you know, where do you as a parent go when you don't understand the assignment or when you are trying to help your kids with their homework? Overwhelmingly, people said Khan Academy. So that's K-H-A-N Academy. There is a parent dashboard that you can sign up for. Your kids have to register for the site. So if they're over 13 and they have their own email address, they can register for the site 
I would highly suggest that you register on the parent dashboard. That way you can actually see what your kids are, they're, what they're studying or what they're trying to understand better. There are courses that, that kids can take on there. Um, there are courses that anybody can take on there, I should say. I am learning how to do HTML on Khan Academy and CSS so I can program our show's website, which we don't have yet, but that is a goal. So, well, we do, I should say, we don't, it's not that we don't have a website. We don't have a standalone website. So we do have our, basically our page through Simplecast, which is our hosting service, but it's twomomsnofilter.simplecast.com. I'll have to find that out, but I'll put a link to it, whatever. So have your kids sign up. There are a ton of walkthroughs for everything from basic edition to calculus and statistics to SAT prep, ACT prep, anything that you could possibly take in school, there is some kind of help for it. And it's all free. There are even graduate school testing courses that you can take or prep prep courses that you can take. There's one for the NCLEX RN, which is the test that there is the NCLEX LPN test prep course. There is the LSAT, which is the the pre-law, um, the pre-law school entrance exam. There's the MCAT. There are GRE tests. There's MCAS. There's so much information there that you can just waltz in um, and start learning about or start studying for. I, I did look at the NCLEX RN test there and it goes through subject by subject that is on the NCLEX test. And there's a few practice tests that are available to take. For the LSAT, they actually have you take a practice test. They analyze your answers and then they kind of formulate a personalized um, study guide to help you with the things that you struggle with on the LSAT. The LSAT is like all logic, things like that. I haven't looked at the MCAT because I just didn't have time. For Common Core Math Help, you can go to PBS Math at the Core. They have a middle school section and I will include the link to that in our show notes. You can learn there. They have some videos but they have a good breakdown of what kids are supposed to be learning, like what the Common Core standards are. You can search by the grade or by the specific topics. They have things like fractions, algebraic reasoning, ratios and proportions. There's, there's, that is a good like nutshell sort of resource that you can use. I think each topic has about 20 to 25 videos, but it, it provides a good breakdown and it's from the good people at PBS. So we like that. Oh, uh, Khan Academy, by the way, also has like SAT prep. So Khan Academy, by the way, has college admission essay practice, practice props. And they also have admissions essay examples, you know, like college application essay examples with feedback from admissions, admissions faculty at colleges. So that if you have a kid that is a senior or a junior and they're going to start looking at colleges and looking to apply to colleges. Look at the online application for colleges that they're considering, especially if they're a junior. And look at some of the essay prompts. And that's something that they can start honing down before they have to worry about it in their junior year. Look at that feedback from those admissions instructors. There's also for middle school, high school 
mathhelp.com, which has a bunch of video resources. There's also mashupmath.com, also a great video resource, especially if you have a very visual learner. There are a lot of animation videos that your child can watch to learn a more, I guess, entertaining or visually stimulating sort of, instead of just watching someone manipulate numbers on a board. They actually have some neat animation things that I know Emily likes a lot. Beyond the school, and, and my cousin's wife is a teacher and an autistic resource officer at her school. She said that sometimes organizations at school like the National Honor Society will have kids that will tutor other students. That's always a good idea. Study groups work if a study group is focused. There's a certain amount of screwing around that goes in study groups. I know I've organized many, (laughs) but if the study group can result in effective studying, have at it. If your kid is the type of kid that cannot study in a group, don't encourage them to join a study group. Some kids some kids study best when they're on their own. Um, I study best as a combination. I like a study group because there are opinions and there are ideas that maybe I haven't considered that come up. My study group worked because we all kind of took notes in the same manner. So we took notes in the same manner. We all color-coded our notes. And we really had an easy time of getting through the information. What if you need to get really serious about things like SAT, ACT prep, especially if your child doesn't study well in a sort of self-paced study module like Khan Academy. If your kid needs something more of a formal class for study prep and you're not in a metropolitan area, let's say you're in the boonies like we are, um, what do you do? There is a tutoring program, not a program, like a, a tutoring opportunity online. It's called Varsity Tutor. And like I said, they're not paying us to say this, but we do recommend them. They have over a thousand subjects. Everything from pre-K to MCAT prep. And their headquarters are in St. Louis. And I know that they there is kind of an online one-on-one tutoring that you can do. And I, pricing for that varies because it depends on where they actually get a tutor to match up your specific needs. So I did talk to them about like ESL and learning disabilities. So they would find a tutor that has background in that. So for instance, uh, let's say my daughter who is autistic is having issues with French. They would find a tutor for you that has experience teaching autistic kids, but is also an expert in the subject that you want to learn. So they would get an expert in French to teach my child French that also has a background in learning disabilities. So something like that, I think, in my opinion, is worth its weight in gold. And even if it's something that you can only afford to do a couple times during the semester, or maybe even once a semester, sometimes that's all your kid needs to to grasp a concept. They also have ESL 
tutors. So they'll have tutors that will teach, will tutor your child in history, in U.S. history, that is fluent in Spanish or is fluent in Russian or whatever language your kid speaks primarily at home. They have a, vir- a virtual class. They're small classes. You have to log in at a specific time. It works for for those of you who were college students in the digital age. It works a lot like Blackboard, but that's not the platform that they use. But there is kind of a smart board. You can see your teacher. You can see what they're doing. They, you know, they can write on the board like you're in the room. They also have live tutors where, depending on where they could come to your home and teach your kid. They could, if that's not comfortable for you, they can go to the public library and meet up with your child and you. They they definitely go through the same background checks that teachers go through and things like that. But So they have those two types of tutoring. There's that one-on-one personalized tutoring. They also have test prep, which you can you can pay for like that package. So you can pay like $500 for SAT test prep and they'll be in a small class and it will just be SAT test prep. But I will say, even though there are free test prep programs and you might think, I'm just going to get my kid this test prep book. A lot of kids don't learn well from that. The free program is great if your kid can learn that way. I am a kind of a, like a motivated person that way. I could totally learn from one of the free modules. But if your child needs help, if your child learns best in a classroom and you're not in a geographic location where you can get them into a physical classroom, something like Varsity Tutors might be your best bet. And for 500 bucks, I, that's steep. I know Myself, I would have to save for a few months to be able to swing 500 bucks. But having a child in college, I can tell you that sometimes that SAT score can be the difference between, like it can pay itself back in the form of private scholarships that the school gives you because they, you know, you're a competitive student and they want you to attend their university. So sometimes you get thrown more scholarship money and if shelling out $500 means that your kid could potentially qualify for a a large scholarship like my oldest daughter Elizabeth has, it's called the Panther Scholarship at Pitt. It covers a lot of her tuition. It covers her room and board at school. That's in the thousands of dollars. That's That's almost tens of thousands of dollars. Actually, it is tens of thousands of dollars that she will save over the course of her her university study there. So that would pay itself back tenfold, minimum. (laughs) No, that would pay itself back almost tenfold. So it's it's a lot of money. Her scholarship's worth over $8,000 a semester or $8,000 a year. So that's a lot. Some other things. um, I know I've talked a lot about math help math help and test prep. What if your kid has difficulty with writing? There are a lot of resources. I found there are a lot of resources for math help. There are much fewer resources for writing help. So things like citation help. If you're, I know towards high school and definitely in college, a lot of, a lot of citations had to be done in either APA citation or MLA citation. Um, and how do you go from learning nothing but MLA, which is what I, I learned when I was in high school, 
to APA, which is what college wanted. And the, and I think we have like a one hour class on how to do APA citation. And it it's horrible. There is an entire book on APA citation and they can't even agree how to cite correctly. So what do you do? Probably the easiest thing you can do is to go to Citation Machine and I'll, I put the, um, the link to that in our episode notes. Citation Machine, you can use APA Citation. There's also um, MLA, there's Chicago Citation, and there's something else that I don't remember that I've never heard of. And that's how that goes. But you plug in the ISBN number for the book, which is on one of those front fine print pages that shows like the publisher and the copyright date. Somewhere in there is an ISBN number. If you don't have the ISBN number, if you can't search it by ISBN number, you can put in the um, the title and the author and all that good stuff in the, the edition. And it will actually make a citation for you that well, it will make a citation for your child that they can a not only get used to what the format should look like and they still have to double check it i will say always double check this stuff but they can just cut it and paste it into their word processing document and add it to their paper it will also help with cover pages bibliography things like that i personally use grammarly which is an extension application that you can add to Google Chrome or whatever word processor you use. Um, My Grammarly app actually covers everything. So anything that I'm typing on my computer gets kind of grammar checked and spell checked by Grammarly. I will say it is not always correct. It doesn't It doesn't always understand the context that I'm putting things in sometimes. It wants to hyphenate everything, it seems. But it's a good guideline for, hey, you know, I might need to look at the rule for this. I would also highly suggest if you have a child in high school that you get the book Strunk in White Elements of Style or you can get Eats, Shoots, and Leaves. And I can't remember who wrote that, but they're both kind of grammar writing style manuals extremely handy. They're pretty cheap. I think they're under 10 bucks. Um, Strunk and White Elements of Style, we were required to have, I think, as seniors in high school, or we had to have it as freshmen in high school in the 90s. But it's always a good reference to be able to look up rules for commas and dangling participles and things like that. So that's always handy to have around. You might think spell check on like Word gets everything. It does not. How many times have you seen you know, papers where you, your, your, and your are spelled right, or they're there and there are used correctly, but are spelled wrong for that usage. How about that? So why, if you meant to use you are, the the contraction of that is your. If you meant to use Y-O-U apostrophe R-E, and you used Y-O-U-R, they're both spelled correctly. They're just not used correctly. So things like Grammarly will pick that up. Um, most of the time. Another resource that you can use for writing help um, is timeforwriting.com. It is time, the number four, writing, which drives me crazy, dot com. And that has a lot of writing prompts. It has a lot of how to, you know, craft certain kinds of sentences and, um, Elementary grammar, high school, middle school grammar, um, starting with hooks for essays, ending with a cliffhanger, developing typing skills, 
painting a word picture, things like that, um, compound sentences, types of sentences, concluding sentences, topic sentences. There's a lot of information. There's also a course on SAT essay writing. It's all free. Have at it. Go look at it. We were going to, oh, Melissa and I were going to discuss what to do when your child is having problems with teachers at school or you and a teacher butt heads. We've decided to actually make that a standalone episode. So that is going to be our back to school part four episode next week. And we'll have that discussion. We might have some input from some teachers that we know. We're working on that still. But we definitely wanted to not just give you a five-minute rundown on, hey, these are the things that you can do if you're having issues with teachers. Instead, we decided that since both of us have had issues with teachers, that we would actually make that a whole episode in and of itself and really dive into some resources that you can look at and how to go about um, if you had to you know, file a complaint against the school. How would you go about doing that? Things like that. So we're going to give you the whole soup to nuts about that next week. But for this week, it's Danielle signing off. I hope that your school year goes brilliantly this year and that these homework tips and resources that we've provided you with really help you guys out. And as always, we appreciate if you both rate and review our show wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you have any questions, drop us a line. Find us at Two Moms No Filter Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, Two Moms No Filter, Twitter, Two Moms No Filter. And you can find us at twomomsnofilter.simplecast.com. Until next week, it's Danielle and the spirit of Melissa. So have a great week, guys. We'll talk to you soon. And that's a wrap on another episode of Two Moms No Filter. You can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download your podcast. You can follow Danielle and Melissa on Instagram and Twitter at two, the number two, Moms No Filter. Or drop them a message at twomomsnofilter at gmail.com. <laughs>